Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 294. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Loki season two, episode two, Breaking Brad. Directed by Dan DeLue, written by Eric Martin. Loki was created for television by Michael Waldron, and it is a Kevin Feige production. Before we begin our spoiler review, want to let you know about Fan Show Plus. That is the podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or in Apple Podcasts. You can now find the episodes right here in the main Apple Podcast feed where you found this episode if you're using Apple Podcasts to listen to MCU Fan Show. All you have to do is become a premium subscriber via Apple Podcast subscriptions and you will have access to those episodes. Also, please make sure you are following us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, we really would appreciate a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference for the show. So thank you so much to everyone who has already taken the time to share their review. And now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I am doing very, very well. I'm enjoying the beautiful fall weather as the leaves fall down and I'm getting ready for Halloween. And I start to I start to think, Sean, why don't we get another Werewolf by Night special? <laughs> well, we are. We're getting Werewolf by Night in color next <sighs> no, week. Boo. Well, let me just say really quickly about Werewolf by Night in color. I am a fan because I actually do think in its own meta way it is true to form how a lot of classic movies and serials were re represented, reshuffled and, and made new again in color. So I do actually feel it fits with that. I don't think the in color version is going to be my preferred version of it. But at the same time, no, but it's an excuse to watch Werewolf by Night twice this year. I'll watch the in-color version, and then I'll go back to the original version, which I suspect is going to be superior. But yes, I I think Marvel Studios special presentations, who knows what's going to happen with those. I really do hope that we get more of them. Obviously, there are a lot of things changing right now for Marvel Studios and their approach to television, and that includes basically starting over with Daredevil Born Again again. And so uh, I talked all about that on Fan Show Plus, which is available now at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts via Apple Podcast subscription. So make sure you check that out. I broke down all of that news and what I think it means for things in the future. But as far as Werewolf by Night, yeah, we sure could use another one of those right now. I'm also really wanting more holiday specials when that comes up. But really what I feel more than anything, Paul, is just envy because you're talking about fall weather. I'm in Los Angeles. We don't have that sort of thing. So it's been super hot here, chilly at night and in the morning a little bit, but then just super hot during the day. So not uh, not as much fun. You don't get that crisp feeling. Uh, Love it. Until the sun goes down, it is not sweater weather over here uh, in L.A. So that's a, a little bit of a bummer, but also a lot of other things that are nice about living in L.A. So I, I continue to accept the trade off. But. For this episode of, of Loki Season 2, Paul, you and I kind of already spoiled it for each other ahead of the recording. We're both big sure. fans of this episode. I'm a big fan of this episode for some of the reasons that are similar to why I enjoyed the Season 2 premiere. I thought this one did another great job of being a very solid, episodic adventure that had its own satisfying journey to go on. But I also feel like this one 
maybe the balance tipped a little bit back into still being very episodic, but also bringing more of the serialized nature into it, where I felt like this one did a good job building on some of the character arcs from the first season, kind of reminding us where characters are at, also showing us maybe new directions they might be going in their own emotional journey. So all of that stuff I liked, and it was also fleshing out even more of the supporting cast and giving them larger roles or what we could anticipate would be larger roles going forward. So there were a lot of things that were going very well throughout this episode that I thought worked great. So you're going to hear me, you, the listener, are going to hear me say a lot of really nice things about this episode for the next however long it takes us to do this. But then be forewarned that when we get to the end of the episode, I do have some issues with that. And those who heard me, heard my Loki season two, episode two, first impressions, also at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber and on Apple Podcasts, I even said there I wasn't sure because that was my reaction after watching the episode one time. After subsequent viewings, would I feel differently? I don't really feel that differently. I didn't necessarily love all of the last, I don't know, five to ten minutes of this episode on first viewing. And it didn't really, subsequent viewings didn't really solve it. It didn't necessarily get better. I feel like I was I was pretty spot on with how I felt about it just based mm. on my initial viewing. So, Paul, if you've only seen it once, um, don't expect it to change for you either. If you weren't a big fan yeah. Of, yeah. Uh, of the end of the episode, it, it really was as kind of as abrupt as it and, and rushed as it felt uh, the first time. But let's save that for later, Paul. Let's talk about oh. the good stuff in this episode. Well, first, before we get into the specific scenes, I just shared my overall thoughts, Paul. But yes, I know you were a fan of this episode as well. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the before we get obviously we'll get into details and we'll, we'll talk about why we we liked it or or, or loved it. I, I actually really love this episode a lot, and I not because of the ending. The ending I would agree is probably the weakest part. I probably liked it more than you did. Very a la uh, Secret Invasion finale a little bit, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, if you want to bring it back to that a little bit, because I love fight scenes. It's, it's whatever. But I, but you know, yeah, but I'll the get fight to that. part of it was fine. Yeah, yeah, and I think listen, like I'll get to that. Wait, I'll save it for when we get there. Um, but overall, just going back to this previous episode, there is just a fluidity to these two episodes that even I think the first season doesn't have as well as this season so far. It, Cause I, that first episode was a little, not disjointed for me, but it, it came across abruptly because it is totally different. Like from a color palette besides the writing and the pacing wise, but still, but it flew, it flowed pretty well from a story structure narrative wise, narrative wise. And I think that through this, it's a lot more contained. It's not showing me a million characters. It feel, I feel I feel like, you know, the first season gives you a lot of information and a lot of characters to keep track of here because we've already established majority of the characters and we have o, uh, OB like that's all the new characters we really need to worry about besides, you know, who we'll get to in a minute. Mm. But you see what I'm saying? Like, it's not like we're it's not like they're throwing everyone at us at once. Or, you know, a lot of information, and a, a lot of information at us. Right. <clears throat> They're throwing complex information at us, but it's not a lot. And so it's like, oh, so you're able to absorb everything, like everything. And you get to see the characters have, because it's not so much going on around them. Well, and it's even the, com- it's com- yeah, well, even what I was yeah. mentioning before about the the supporting cast, right? They're not so much introducing as many new characters. I mean, there are a couple big ones, right? OB and right. X5 a.k.a. Brad or Bradley Wolf. There is that, but really what they're doing is adding to the characters who we already met 
in season one with like the biggest big, biggest examples there would be hunter b15 and uh and casey who really starts to take on a bigger role in this episode yeah <clears throat> and so the thing is with the thing is with with this episode in particular that i liked is just there, this the flow of everything of of the the action to the you know to the you know to the building up of the characters and the interactions of the characters the everything was on point and it's been on point with and this is going to be really stupid and I'm I'm, I'm not going to act like I'm like it's just well, the way it's shot it's so impeccable I don't want to be like that guy <laughs> drinking his wine with a scarf around his neck I'm not, I'm not trying to be like that hey look but, if you want to go Brad Wolf on this and say it's cinema you can. God, oh God! Wait till we um, get to that moment. That was oh so yeah, funny. I know, I know. Oh God! So here's the thing. I, 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 I would say the way they're shooting this, um, from like wide shots to medium shots, clo- whatever, it's working. And yeah, I'm not. Sure, it's gorgeous. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure why I'm picking that out more than the previous season, but this season there's there, there just seems to be a lot more of a focus of. And maybe it's a lot because we're going a lot more close up on characters. I don't know. It's weird. Like they're more centered. It feels like like yeah. they're literally centered in the frame. I just feel like uh, it's popping. Like the the yeah, show is yeah. just jumping off the screen more so than it did in season one. And I love the way the season one looks. But yeah, it's just the image just pops on in Loki season two. And and also really love seeing the director of this episode. I mean, I think we already heard that he was going to direct some episodes, but uh, Dan DeLue directing this. Shout out to longtime Marvel Studios VFX supervisor, Dan DeLue, who comes in and directs this episode and and absolutely crushes it. And so, yeah, I I thought this show just looks, uh, it, it looks absolutely fantastic. A lot of really great visuals, a lot of gorgeous shots throughout this episode. And really, when we talk about the look of the show, let's jump right into it with our, our very first opening scene, which takes us to London, 1977, on the Sacred Timeline, not a branch timeline. Uh, London, 1977, on the Sacred Timeline, we are at the world premiere of Zaniac, starring Brad or Bradley Wolf, a.k.a. X5, whom we met last week, played by Raphael Casal. And as Mobius and Loki are showing up there, the lead that they're chasing is, of course, this is where X5's tempad went dark. But really what they're looking for is or who they're looking for is Sylvie. But X5 is the one who's going to lead them to Sylvie or so they hope. As they're walking into the theater, we do see that they pass by a Kingo poster. So really nice Eternals reference right there. And as they walk into the premiere and we meet Brad Wolf. I got to give a lot of credit to Raphael Casal, and let's just start it right here. He is so much fun and so charismatic when he's in full Brad Wolf mode now. We we saw a little bit of it, right? We saw a little bit of that smug, snarky attitude as uh, as X5 in the TVA last week. But, man, Raphael Casal gets his, his chance to shine, and boy, does he ever throughout this entire episode. And starting right here, him schmoozing the press in uh, in the press line at the premiere— was fantastic. His reaction to seeing Mobius and Loki, all of that was so good, so much fun. But I also really liked when the chase was on. I really liked how Loki, from start to finish in the scene, especially once they saw X5 or Brad, that Loki was all business. Mobius is ready to to go ahead and have a drink. They can have one drink. They're still working. Not Loki. He's fine, and he is very serious. And when Brad goes on the run... 
Loki chasing him down and going in full god of mischief menacing mode and then doing the whole shadow play for the capture also the duplication casting to be able to get to Brad Wolf all of that I thought was really really strong and I really like seeing Tom Hiddleston kind of slip back into that Loki mode a little bit of that villain mode which he does even more so later which I just loved even more and so All of that I thought was really strong. You could tell Loki's kind of enjoying that a little bit. It's very serious. He is business, but there is a part of him, at least a little part of him, that is enjoying it. Uh, And I also think there's some other uh, cool spots here, like Mobius being taken aback by Brad saying, you're going to ruin my life here. Mobius just taken aback by the idea that Brad cares about his life here on the Sacred Timeline, not the TVA life that Mobius is still ready to live but a, a different life on the timeline. So Mobius being taken by taken aback by that is a nice little key moment that informs what we see later on in this episode. What I also really loved about this is I, I think that Marvel was doing a solid here, not just to the Loki fans, but also to the Tom Hiddleston fans. Obviously, Tom Hiddleston, especially within the legions of loyal Tom Hiddleston fans, a lot of people have said that they want to see Tom Hiddleston one day as James Bond. And here you got Loki in secret agent mode, chasing down a double agent. I know not all the criteria are there, but a secret agent in a tux, chasing down a double agent. And he is in a little bit of James Bond mode as much as Loki will allow. So that was a nice little fun thing, too, uh, for this opening, which I just thought was really strong. This opening scene was fantastic. And this really felt like great television in my estimation to have. I wouldn't call it a cold opening because it is actually integral to the main plot of the episode. But this whole start to this uh, this week's installment, Paul, I, I thought was fantastic. Yeah, I so here's the thing for me, like I the Brad Love didn't officially start with me until um, probably the chase scene when he when he met up with 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 Loki and and uh and uh, God, Moby, that was called Owen Wilson. He got me and, when he was talking to the reporter who asked him if the, you know, Bridget Bordeaux rumors were true. And like, I'm on a date. Put that in the vault like that. I don't know that that part just got me. No, and that part was fine. I, mean, I liked it. I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't like I wasn't uh, wasn't hit immediately. Like by that part it was like fine. And the cinema part was, I will say it was was it was perfect. Yeah. I was like, oh, God, that well, that's so later. Perfect. That's at McDonald's. But. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. I forgot. Um, now with that, when he starts interacting with them and bolts, I, 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 that's when I was like, okay, like for some reason, his interaction with Mobius and Loki seemed way, that's where I'm like, oh, this is a, this is a cool character. I'm liking this. And I do like the fact that they played up Loki being Loki, you know, a little bit. And that's the one thing I was kind of thinking about today. Um, Cause I mean, remember he's pretty powerful. It's not like, you know, they haven't really displayed. They haven't really displayed his strength. Like, well, I'm not most saying of the time he's in an environment where he can't use his magic. Now he can. Well, right, but he's but he's not. I wouldn't say he has like super strength, but he's not like he's not a normal human being either. He's got like right. greater strength and can probably run faster too. That's where it's kind of weird for me. I'm like, well, I mean, whatever. I mean, I don't want to give too much into that, but I just it does make me think. Like, remind myself, this guy is a god, right? Yeah. I mean. I mean, we got to remember that. So, but that well, just like said, when uh, when Brad says to him, like, you're not fighting fair. And Loki's like, it's not a fair fight. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Like, it, Who it, said it was, it was nice fair? Get, yeah. And that's that's why it was cool to get reminded of that in this chase scene, because I, I got to remember, too, that Loki just can't be like going crazy in his powers at the sacred timeline either. Right. So 
that you could say i put my mind that's kind of you know don't worry don't recon it if you want a little bit or um explain it away but when they're when they're chasing he does use the magic and it's like oh yeah you kind of forget like he has he hasn't had an opportunity to use that and it's nice to, to see that kind of play out and him to kind of like he's so greatly put slip back into that old persona of loki mm-hmm. because i think as much as I, mean, I like, he's literally wearing a tux and the suit still fits. Yeah, like, that's really exactly. what that is. Yeah, and I think that the I love the deconstruction of Loki of season one. I think it's brilliant and it's really well written. And I, but I also think you know it's it's not a bad not a bad thing. How am I explain this? I don't think it's a bad thing to is to remind the audience that he does have a dark side. And mm-hmm. he does, and and just because he's he, he, this is the one Loki that's probably reformed, and, and you could, I don't want to call him an anti-hero, but he is kind of in that hero anti-hero, you could say realm. Um, that that being said, the reason why he's an anti-hero is he does have that dark side to him that you have to kind of account for, and you have to always kind of keep in mind. And I like the fact that I'm not sure if this is just to play in this one episode, but I wouldn't mind playing into that and how they're playing that up. Because I think that definitely will always haunt you. I mean, let's face it. You are you will always be reminded of the mistakes you make, whether, yeah. you know, well, how severe they are. And he slips back into it a few times in this episode. So it just begs yeah. the question of if there's a part of him that enjoys this, that has a little bit of fun doing this then it it become also becomes that temptation like will loki yeah. keep doing this and will he lose control when he's doing this and you know kind of this will, could be the setup yeah will he regress from all of the progress that he's made all that he's grown since season 1 might he is he risking losing some of that now they don't really put that out as a concern yet in yeah. this episode, like Mobius doesn't clock it as something to worry about. Loki doesn't seem to be worried about it, but I am as an audience member. And, and I start to and I, I do wonder if maybe if we see this happen again next week, for example, at that point, do the other characters start calling it out and identifying that? No, this really is a challenge potentially for this character and, and whether or not he continues on his growth trajectory, because right now. Everything seems fine because it's all in pursuit of the greater good, but we see how complicated it is in terms of what we can and can't justify in pursuit of what is perceived to be the greater good. I mean, that's a huge part of the debate that they're having all the way at the very end of the the first season of Loki, of whether or not this whole pruning process is ultimately the right thing to do because the other the alternative is much, much worse, and that's kind of where everybody's sorting that, the aftermath of sylvie's decision at the end of this so anyway there's a lot of stuff that is again very emotionally and philosophically complex in this show that they dive into and i do think loki going back into villain mode and maybe enjoying it a bit too much could certainly lead somewhere uh, for his character arc because that's also part of the mcu characters grow and they do better but growth is and, and progress for a person is not just this linear thing and where it all just moves in the right direction constantly, as we saw with Tony Stark, as we saw with Thor. There are moments where these characters can regress a bit, where they can fall prey to some of their old flaws, some of the things that they've worked on. Those things can still get the better of them at very key moments. And so that is definitely something to to watch out for with uh, with Loki. But after they capture X5, 
We're back in the TVA, and Brad is not sharing what the modifications are to his temp pad, so Loki and Mobius take it to OB, who then uh, calls them out for basically saying, is this a higher priority than the temporal meltdown that I'm trying to prevent? Because that's what he's working on, a device to retrofit the temporal loom, as he was talking about last week, to make sure the temporal loom can accommodate all of these extra branches. I like this scene for a couple of different reasons. I mean, the first was that it was very funny, especially the delivery of Ki Huy Kwan talking about, do you think that's a higher priority than preventing a temporal meltdown? That was really, really great. But I also like this because it shows that what we saw last week is not the whole show. That's not the new format for how it's not going to now just be this procedural where Loki and OB or Loki and Mobius come to OB every week with a new problem that he sorts out for them. And that's also not just going to be OB's role on the show. He's not just there to explain things and fix things for Loki and Mobius. He has his own stuff to worry about, which makes sense because in the story, he always has. Remember, this is a guy who doesn't even sleep. He works all day, all night, forever in the TVA to fix everything that's wrong with the TVA and to maintain it. Maybe maybe not everything that's philosophically wrong with the TVA, but mechanically, whatever goes wrong in the TVA, it's Obi's job to fix it. So this is a very busy person. So even though he was able to take part in last week's mission, he's going to have his own stuff and he's not going to be available to Loki and Mobius for every question that they have. They need to do the reading as he gives them the uh, the TVA guidebook, the book that he wrote. So I like this, Paul. It's a very quick scene. It's it's very funny, but I do think it, it provides a really important story and, and character function for OB. Yeah, I, I think it's establishing um, that the, the TVA needs to exist in some way, and there has to be some kind of uh, maintenance. And that's, that's kind of the cool thing about this season, is that when... We kill when Sylvie kills he who remains. They're, they're, you know, we they establish that like all hell is going to break loose. That's fine, you know, whatever. But now it's kind of it's kind of interesting. It kind of ties into the, to the end of the show. We'll, we'll save all that for later. But it, we're, they're establishing the TVA is a is there's a reality to their function. No pun intended. Like you know, like there's like there's a there's a true like reason for them to exist even outside of he who remains. It's almost mm-hmm. like he who remains understood like oh no it's not just the way he did it was wrong per se but there needs to be some kind of functionality of of maintaining this because things could get out of line really fast and not just with the kings and and you know and nathaniel richards but other stuff right so i think that it's cool that we're they're kind of establishing that which i I think is important because i think you have ob's importance like the maintenance of these things like there's good they're establishing this to, i think to uh, for drama obviously and to build these characters and character moments but i think for long term they're establishing the tva has you know has to exist after the series or something like the tva if you will yeah absolutely and it also goes back to what uh what obius or obi <laughs> obius mobius told obius. Uh, told loki Back in season one, when he said, I thought you said there was no magic here. There isn't. This is all mechanical. This all runs. And there's a guy who act, whose job it is to make sure that it all keeps running. Um, but he's not the only one. So then we catch up with Hunter B-15, or really no longer a Hunter, but B-15 
and Casey. Casey has been helping B-15 investigate the situation via tracking Renslayer's Tempad because, of course, she is also a key to all of this. And turns out that uh, Casey was able to uncover that there was a last message that Renslayer received, and it was from Miss Minutes, as they tell Mobius and Loki, who are busy trying to figure out what's going on with uh, X-5's Tempad. And then Loki recalls the recording between Renslayer and He Who Remains, establishing there was some relationship between those characters. But also, Miss Minutes is working with Renslayer, which also fits in with what we saw toward the end of the first season. And Casey steps up here also talking about how uh, whatever they're trying to figure out, they're on the wrong track. That they're thinking that the modifications made to X5's Tempad were to block tracking Casey doesn't know what it is, but it's definitely not about blocking traffic, uh, blocking tracking. If he had more time, he could figure it out. But they decide to go ahead and have an interrogation with X5. But before we talk about the round one of the interrogation, just this scene, I really liked. I like that Casey doesn't even know that now this is the role that he's in as far as helping B-15 to this to the point where he thinks it has to be a secret, like he's whispering initially. And she's like, no, everybody knows that we're doing this and, and you're helping. It's fine. We can talk about it. And I also love that Casey, in, when you put him in this role, he still has a lot of comic relief that he provides, but that's not his sole function anymore. Working with B-15, tracking down Renslayer, just inevitably moves him closer to the center of this story, which is a nice development for this character, as I was saying at the top of the show, to take these supporting characters from the first season where Casey had a, a lot of great lines and a lot of great fun, funny moments and even some more of that last week. Now we're really starting to progress this character and, and show more. And we'll see a little bit more, of course, when he meets OB later on in the episode. But this is what good shows do, is they're expanding the profile of the of the supporting cast, and they're doing it in a way that allows them to feel, not just we're expanding this person's profile, we're making them a bigger, bigger character for the sake of it, we are honoring this show by actually making sure there is a reason to do it, and showing that this character is more than you thought they were, and that is really to the benefit of our main hero. So I, I thought the way... This what this episode did for Casey, I really liked. Yeah, I, I don't have much to say other than other than I actually been I didn't really hate or dislike or or love Casey. Like it was fine the first season. I actually like him a lot more so far in this season, and it's because of exactly what you said. So yeah, not much else to say other than that. I, I do like where they're where they're taking him though. Yeah, easier to like a character more when they give you reasons to, right? So I, I think <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, let's move on to round one of the interrogation. I, I love the intro to this with Mobius talking about how it's a chess match. He knows all their tactics, so it's a really interesting chess match. Oh, also, he's an a-hole, so don't let him get under your skin. Uh, I thought was fantastic, but I, I think as you were mentioning before, Paul, I mean, look, there, I was already really enjoying Raphael Casal's performance as Brad or Bradley but it hit another level in this interrogation scene. And and now this is some brand new character that I don't know that I was counting on for much, but now I'm like, this is a character who really has potential. And I know uh, this is a character who now, after this one episode, I'm like, okay, great. Let's have more of X5 slash Brad. Or because uh, can go anywhere on 
a sacred timeline or a branch timeline if it still exists. I mean, this is a character who could assume other identities as far as I'm concerned uh, later on down the line. But let's focus on the here and the now with this interrogation scene. Really great moment when Loki tries to sell the importance of it, that there are lives at stake and Brad just taking offense to that and then really taking Loki to task over that, saying how he just makes everything worse for everyone, for B-15, for Mobius, for Loki's own mother. So, ouch. And talking about how, Loki, all you do is lose. Stop trying to be a hero. You're a villain. You're good at it. Do that. And then Loki does that. And of course, for a performance standpoint, Loki goes into menacing mode, to try and intimidate Brad. It doesn't work. And then Brad turns his attention to Mobius, who tries to break the tension with a joke. I love the knock-knock Brad who, that's showbiz joke, was was fantastic. Mobius's corny humor was spot on. Owen Wilson delivered it perfectly. But when Brad really lays into it and strikes a nerve with Mobius, talking about how none of this is real, and Mobius needs to wake up and... That obviously gets under Mobius's skin. So he's the one who gives the warning to not let Brad get under their skin. But Mobius is the one who is ultimately provoked. And I think overall, like I said, this scene, Rafael Casal was just so great being the smug a-hole. He was fun. He was funny. It was definitely in love to hate mode. I love the line where uh, Loki's talking about how he doesn't even work here. He's like, oh, yeah, great. So you should stop talking. And like, that was fantastic. And Hiddleston, as he did in the opening scene, really does a great job flexing some of those old Loki muscles, and it feels very much like the Loki that we got to know in uh, the Loki that we got to know in Thor and the Avengers. And, and it's a performance now just like it was then, because Loki even describes back in the first episode of season one how a lot of this stuff was a performance. It was all about intimidation. It was always about trying to disguise how weak he felt that he was, how he felt about himself, trying to appear powerful in order to gain more power and this is still Loki trying to appear powerful but it's different now what's different now is the intent which is now it's about finding Sylvie it's about protecting the TVA it's ultimately in the pursuit of saving everyone not from Loki's perspective at this point ruling everyone and he didn't really take the bait that's the key thing I I think in this scene is that when Brad did try to get under Loki's skin and he did point out all the terrible things that Loki's done. And it was basically a recap of a lot of the things that Loki and or Sylvie talked about themselves over the course of season one, whether or not their whole purpose, their whole destiny is to lose. And of course, Loki having to live with all of the terrible things that he's done. I like that in this scene, we see Loki still owning who he is and what he's done as he learned to do in season one. But he's also not going to be controlled by that, or at least more importantly, he's not going to let someone else like Brad use that information to control him. So who he was in the past and the things, that, the terrible things that he's done, he is, at least right now, at this moment where we're really seeing some evidence of his growth, he isn't going to let what he's done or who he's been in the past be an excuse to not be the person he knows he can be, he knows he should be moving forward, and it's not going to be an excuse for him to not try and do the right thing, whatever that may be. I love Brad at this point, and Owen Wilson has just, he was great the first season. There's something to his performance this season that he's almost amplified 
the Mobius like from like a eight and a half to like a full on eleven at this point. Because and maybe it's it's because he's just more playing himself. Maybe I have no idea. I mean, Owen Wilson is. I don't know. It, it feels it's just, there's something about his performance that I'm just loving. And when he it comes in there, it's his whole series so far. I'm just I'm loving it. And when he tell he says it about Brad, it kind of sets it up because we don't really see the the that 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 foreshadow, if you will, Sean, mm-hmm. until we get the ter- interrogation 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 scene. If I can actually speak for once, um, and I I was very impressed with how. Uh, this guy holds his own with Hiddleston and Owen Wilson. Like, I I really thought it was he stole the show, which I never would have thought. Like, like to me, uh, Sylvie had, had managed to do that a, do that a couple times, um, you know, in the, in the in the series last season. But this new person, I had no expectations of. Like, you know, not nothing you know against him. I just didn't expect a guy to come in there and hold his own, if not take the entire scene and part over. And that was the most shocking thing. I, to be honest, I haven't seen a supporting character like that take a steal a show in a Marvel series. I mean, maybe, like, you know, like, again, not like a main character, like a, a pure supporting character that's not, you know, built up like a cap, you know, a photon, you know, because I think I loved her in, in you know, WandaVision. Yeah, a character that you know has a future in the MCU, like a character where you know and fully expect that they're building into it. Like we knew that, to your point about Photon, about Tiana Paris as Monica Rambeau, when we see the name Monica Rambeau, we know, have some idea of where that's headed. We don't know how they're going to get there and exactly what shape it's going to take, but we know there is a future. When we meet a character, like first off, we didn't even know a whole lot about I mean, if you were following news in the trades, you knew that Rafael Casal was going to be in this show, but there wasn't a lot of hype around who he was playing and what was going to happen. Tons of fan theories when, of course, people saw the Brad Wolf stuff in the trailer, but not a whole lot that really pointed to a future for this character. And look, maybe he doesn't have one. I don't know. I I really don't know if he's going to ultimately be um, if he's going to ultimately be a character who really stands out or has a big future beyond this. But I, what I do know is that I, I want him to have one because I want to yeah. see more of this character because he did such a great job. And, and to your point, it's not easy to do. Like you say, well, being an actor, you should be great at it no matter what. And sure, fine. All that stuff's true. Fine. Just like, yeah, you you should be great when you, you know, if you were always great at sports or, or a given sport, then you should step on the field yeah. and, and be great. Pressure is a thing, and human beings are have real emotions and can feel pressure and whatever. And I, I think that you know, stepping into a scene like this with heavyweights like Hiddleston or, or Owen Wilson, and to just hold your own and to really just chew up the scenery—that's um, easier said than done. And so it is a—it is absolutely a testament to Rafael Casal and and his yeah. uh, his talent and and obviously the work that he put into this performance and. The results are are quite evident when when we watch it, at least clearly from our perspective. Yeah, and I think that that's what was really surprising to me. And I think the writing is really was again <clears throat> the oh, yeah. writing has been on, so Dialogue on point. Dialogue was spot on for for Brad. Yeah, yeah, it, but I think for everyone. I mean, that, that's oh, the strength. Of the, yeah, and that's the strength of the series that I've been really impressed with. That that the flow 
and the natural dialogue is is much better this season than the last season. I thought some some parts of last season that wasn't always consistent. This has been a very consistently like just the pacing, the writing. It's been all dialogue has been spot on, and it's been just again maybe the acting is what's done it. I don't know, but either way, it's such a it's great, all coming it, together. Yeah, and I, I love that this character Brad has now elevated himself, and we have no idea. Where, where, and then the cool thing for me is that I have no idea who this guy is. You know, he's not a major character in the Marvel universe at this point, and we don't know what happens to him. I mean, for all we know, he, he could, they could, he could, he just stays Brad the whole series, and then all of a sudden they elevate him to something else afterwards. Or I, my fun theory would be he actually becomes Zaniac at the at, at some point as a <laughs> joke. You know, but then he, but then Zaniac actually becomes a legitimate like character now in the MCU, and then all of a sudden they have to bring him back in the comics. And it, there's something very fun about that, to like that idea because you know a Coulson's a great example of a character like it's kind of self created or gets re, you know recreated if you want uh, into the Marvel the comic books, and it becomes their own like MCU legend, you know, if you will, and. You know, Rocket Raccoon to that to that point is almost like that, and they they kind of brought him up in the comics before the movie, but he could t- he took a life of, of his own, you know, at some point. So to me, it'd be really cool. I I, I, I kind of prefer. I love obscure characters in the comics, and I love yeah. the fact that, like when these characters can have like all of a sudden like, like out of nowhere become like mega mega huge. Well, and, and also Brad the TVA could, could become a bigger thing in the comic books, and you know, yep. a character mm-hmm. like X Five or Brad could become a thing uh, in the comic books, and so. I think that I think the TVA already has come back in the comic books a little bit. I don't yeah, I'm n- sure not yeah. in stuff that I've read, but in any event, um, I also think though, if we're talking about the TVA having life beyond this series, who's to say Brad doesn't get to continue being a part of that in mm-hmm. some way, shape or form. Maybe he gets his own arc to go ahead and be better and not just live his life as a, as a movie star, which is fine. As Mobius points out, like who wouldn't want to do that? Um, but mm-hmm. anyway, Let's uh, moving out of the interrogation scene, because, of course, it did not work. They did not get anything out of Brad in that first round. So it's time to uh, take a break for Pi. And that's fine. But I also like before they start, uh, you know, stabbing away at Pi and and not really eating it. uh, We get to uh, it's Loki following Mobius down a hallway. And I really love that Loki's just asking him, are you all right? And then when they they sit down, take a break over some pie, and Mobius admits that he did lose it, that it wasn't tactical or anything like that. And Loki, it can immediately relate because he even says, hey, remember the time I got so mad? I went down to New York and attacked it with an alien army and I threw Tony Stark out of a building. I love that, especially Loki summing it all up with, eh, sometimes our emotions get the better of us. That was fantastic. And then Loki really wants to know if Mobius is uh, if he really is curious about his life on the timeline, not his life in the TVA, but his life on the timeline, whatever it was. Um, and the same thing that Brad was needling at Mobius with, Loki is asking it through him from a place of just genuine concern. And uh, Mobius is saying that the TVA is the only life he's ever known. And Loki wonders if Mobius is worrying that maybe if he were to discover what was going on in his life, that maybe it would be something bad. And Mobius says he could handle that. What would be worse is if it's something good and he has that weighing on him. So there's a, a little bit of FOMO fear that uh, that Mobius has there, which is very understandable and oversimplified when you use a phrase like FOMO, so my bad. But when we talk about the, then they get back to the issue at hand 
which is Brad, and they need, they discovered what happened, or at least they have their theory that he must have discovered where Sylvie was and then just moved on and decided to live his life pretending he had never found her. And so they'll need to get him to admit that that's what happened, that he found her and then just left her left her be and then went ahead and, and just abandoned his mission. And in order to uncover that truth, Loki's going to they're going to have to lean on Loki being the god of mischief. But this was another great scene when I talk about this show, this episode kind of hearkening back to some of the stuff that we loved or certainly that I loved about season one. It was scenes like this. It was just these one to one conversations between Loki and Mobius and the chemistry between Hiddleston and Owen Wilson is still so good. It's just as good as ever. And I love I really do love that Loki just wants to know if his friend is okay, that he's recognizing that this behavior from Mobius is so incredibly unusual for Mobius. This is just not at all the way Mobius normally behaves. And for Loki to recognize that and not judge Mobius for that, even literally says, I'm not judging you, just wants to know if Mobius is okay, to the point where he can discuss the same topic that got under Mobius's skin when Brad was needling him about it, Mobius is able to hear that and have that conversation with Loki because now it's coming from a place where there is genuine care for who Mobius is and what Mobius wants and Mobius then being able to open up as much as he can. And all of that is totally valid. I mean, when you see what's happening with the TVA and everybody in the TVA and the truth of what's happened to them, it begs the question of why isn't Mobius just sprinting to the timeline to find out where he where he was taken from, what was the life that he left behind. And I think they do a really good job of giving Mobius a a strong reason for why he's held on to this life in the TVA, even going so far as to saying he would thank the person who took him and gave him this life in the TVA, because this really is the only life he's ever known. Whatever he's missing out on, he doesn't know what exactly that is. And it's probably easier to miss out on it when you don't know exactly what it is you're missing. And seeing his old life might mean giving this one up potentially with the TVA, or it might mean sticking with it, again, knowing full well what he's missing out on. And it even goes back into a a callback from Loki season one and a conversation between Mobius and Loki where Loki was talking about a fork in every road and there's always regret. No matter what choice somebody makes, just making a choice will mean regret over the choice that someone didn't make. So Brad can say that this stuff isn't real, But remember when Mobius once said, I think it was in the second episode of season one, that this life in the TVA, it's real because he believes it's real. And it's still real to him, even if it's built on lies, because it is still his life. And that is his own version of free will for now, is to choose to continue to just stay in the TVA and not be concerned about what his other life was. But we are going to get there. Inevitably, we're going to get there. That's why they're identifying this issue, is to get the character to that spot. You know, this is just now, we're in this place with Mobius's arc where he is burying that curiosity. He says he's not, but obviously is. He's just suppressing that in order to continue on and, and stay in the life that he's known, because there probably is, for Mobius, some part of this life that not only he enjoys, but obviously there's a lot of this life that makes him feel safe and at home, that he doesn't want to be an actor. He's an analyst. He values himself as an analyst in the TVA, and so he is not at all ready to even be tempted to give that up. 
So I thought this was all a really strong scene and also a little bit funny to watch the actors, especially Hiddleston, just kind of stabbing away at the pie and not eating it. The, the challenges of eating slash not eating when you're in a very talky scene as an actor. All of this I, I thought was great. And this was the kind of, I thought, high level character moment that we came to expect and love about the show in season one. Here's a progression of that for season two. Yeah, this scene was great. I thought it just it again the way it was shot, the tone of the scene, the green uh, with, with, from the pie, which was looked, looked really amazing. I'm like I don't even like pie, but I, I don't like, really like key lime pie. That also didn't necessarily that was a a different shade of green than normally I expect from that exactly. Was, that was a more Loki shade of green, but you know what? I think. I think that's supposed like to be it. it. Like it's supposed to be stale TVA pie. Although Mobius said it's really good, so yeah, you know, I, yeah. I'll, I'll take his word for it. But then again, but, you know, Mobius is seems a lot more easily impressed than maybe the rest. Yeah, and like the whole like vintage, you know, aesthetic continuing throughout. Like even that little diner area, mm-hmm. and it's all green. I, I just the way it just looks is, is I loved how it was shot and the dialogue was on point. It just again. Uh, again, not really much to add other than it was a really a great scene to have these two characters. You know, I, I will. The one thing I will add about Mobius is I, I wonder if if it's good. If I, I do agree, they're obviously establishing this for a reason. What I do think and because his response, I do think his responses are interesting because they're not like, yeah, I would like to come back maybe or I because he's so like, I kind of like it here. Like, I actually believe I believe that. I wonder if he's going to see his life. Oh, he's totally good. Been. He's totally well, yeah, going to. No, no, right. No, he's going to. I agree. But I wonder if he's going to look and see, oh, the grass isn't going to be greener. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, my life isn't kind of like that great over there. I actually kind of prefer it at TVA. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I I feel it. it I feel like it's going to, there's a theme of like, it, that'd be a really cool thing to explore because right. we could see the the alternative, like the other side, and maybe it did kind of suck. Like you're like, actually, TVA is kind of tight. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, that'd be that's kind of what I I hope so. Well, especially when the TVA is still going to have a purpose, and exactly. Mobius yeah, is yeah. going to want to be part of that. He's obviously going to see the value yeah. of that as much as anyone. And so, and, and I think, well, what? How would you? go about doing that anyway in terms of going back to your life on the sacred timeline like brad refers to having found his life on the sacred timeline but does that mean that x5 before he was taken was brad wolf the actor or he's just choosing a different life because how could you what are the mechanics of choosing the same life on the sacred timeline anyway isn't there already a version of you there that didn't fall out of step with what was supposed to happen on the sacred timeline just like loki on the sacred timeline that loki still lives and then I guess eventually dies in Infinity War. So I guess you could come back after the point of your death. But if you're coming back while a version of you is still alive, you can't take over their life without eliminating that person, the non-variant whatever version of you, the sacred timeline version of you. So I don't know that Mobius can, he'll see who he is on the sacred timeline, but there's all sorts of ethical uh, questions in terms of how you would actually get back to your life or if you even really can because the truth is you you can't just be that person like you can brad can go ahead and say that being in the tva isn't real but neither is the life he's living now because he still has his entire past and everything he's done in the tva you know only if you get a memory wipe that takes you right back to the moment that you were taken do you have a chance to not have that but then again that's only the product of your memory being wiped it's not what's actually true 
or what's actually real. But now I'm just, I, I'm too deep in the weeds on this, so I'm going to back out. But a lot of questions of how that would be presented if and when we eventually see Mobius actually being able to witness what his life was before he was taken or what it was on the sacred timeline up until the point that obviously he branched off from it and became a variant and was taken by the TVA. But anyway, they have their strategy now for round two of the interrogation. But before we get to round two of the interrogation, I actually want to go out of order. Well, I'm going to combine a couple scenes. So the very next scene that we see, as well as the scene that eventually follows it, because it's all happening in the same room and they're both very quick. But Obi is now in the control center of the temporal loom. He's trying to install his retrofit device, but he can't open the blast doors. Access is denied because he does not have, it is an invalid temporal aura. So later on, shortly after round two of the interrogation, we get the follow-up scene, which is B-15 and Casey finding OB there. I love the nice to, when Hunter B-15, when B-15 introduces Casey to OB, nice to meet you. We're all going to die. Nice to meet you uh, was fantastic. Or we're all going to die. Nice to meet. I did it the wrong order. We're all going to die. Nice to meet you. We're all going to die. That was fantastic. I love that Casey is a fan. Didn't know that OB hadn't put it together immediately that OB is Ouroboros. He is a huge fan knows, of course, has memorized the, the handbook that, uh, or guidebook that OB wrote, wants an autograph, really great line in there that's delivered kind of quietly by Eugene Cordero, but, you know, telling him to sign next, sign next to your picture, then I'll draw mine, uh, is hilarious. The idea of Casey drawing a picture of himself next to OB where OB has signed, uh, the guidebook is fantastic. B-15 though, pulls them into focus and we realize what the mission is that the invalid temporal aura, there's only one in order to open those blast doors. And that's not available because that temporal aura belongs to he who remains, who is now dead, at least as far as we know at this point in the timeline. And they need Miss Minutes for the override. Remember, they've previously been shutting out Miss Minutes because they know that they can't trust they can't trust her, but they're going to have to bring her back into the fold. And I, I really love that now we have this solid mission here for our supporting characters. That's also going to set up probably what the main mission is for the next episode or, or close to it. And I also like that they're showing here the TVA. It's more than Loki and Mobius, which we got to see in season one, but knowing that it still is with this supporting cast that we've been, been introduced to in this season with Obi or expanding on the roles for B-15 and Casey. And this trio right now, they're really good. They're a lot of fun. And it's really a, a big risk that they're taking and trying to connect with Miss Minutes, given that she's been working against them the whole time. But it also just speaks to the stakes of this moment and the stakes of their mission. There really are no good options. But so even though it was really nice for really nice to meet you from OB to Casey, they really all might all die in the end, which I don't think they're going to do. But again, these are the stakes uh, of the moment for these characters. But I, I like this sequence and just uh, uh, this pairing, though, of, of OB and Casey was a lot of fun just very quickly here in, in a couple of minutes, but I suspect that it will continue to be a lot of fun throughout uh, throughout the rest of this season. Yeah, nothing much nothing much to add other than I like the setup that Miss Minutes is proving to be really crucial to like the functionality of the TVA and what that means and what her role kind of is. And I'm kind of suspecting yeah that she that this type of program like not miss minutes specifically but like the ai is actually maybe maybe more living than we even realize 
like 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 think of Ultron, right? Like maybe that kind of idea, like almost like a living AI. Yeah. Um, well, can Miss Minutes have her own free will, or is she exclusively bound to the bidding of He Who Remains? I think she's. I think she is, and I think they. She could turn into something else. I agree. Um, I I don't know what that is. Like I I immediately go to like Jocasta, you know, like maybe that that it could turn into that that kind of thing. But I, I she's but I just go, too much fun to eliminate at the end of all. I this. agree. Yeah, I no, I agree. So I think she's going to turn into probably like an, a living AI for a ship, um, for Kang's ship or something like that. Because to me, Renslayer and her working together, they are the last like tied connections to he who remains slash Nathaniel, Nathaniel Richards slash Kang or whatever version you want to say. And I think we're about to get, a, especially with you know with Jonathan Majors coming back and in, in, in that new different variation of Kang we're going to get here in a little bit. Um, we're probably going to get more tied connections with her, Miss Minutes specifically. So I'm very curious where she goes into and also who they create. I do, I kind of feel like she is an AI, like a, a descendant of Vision slash Ultron and, and from the future. And I think that'd be kind of cool. So just kind of throwing, that's, that's my prediction right now. That would be wild. So that would be a, that would be a strong one. If you, if you get that one, you know, that, that that's a legendary call out. I don't know if anybody else has thrown that one out, but I also, I don't follow what everybody else's theories are. So I don't know. But anyway, yeah, Miss Minutes as an eventual, you know, descent, as an AI descendant of Ultron slash Jocasta slash uh, Vision or whatever would be very, very, very interesting. But let's get back to the interrogation. It is time for round two, and we see them bringing in, or Brad rather hears them wheeling in the cranky old torture slash kill device, but he's not buying it until Loki says they forgot the controller and then locks Mobius out of the room, and oh, turns out Loki actually does have that controller after all. So here's Loki going right back into villain mode because Brad was right. Loki is good at that with Mobius outside banging on the door, pretending that he is not in on this. I will just say, obviously, they fool Brad in this scene. I don't know that they fooled any of us. When, of course, we know that it's, it was God of Mischief time in the, uh, in the scene that preceded this between Loki and Mobius. But it doesn't really matter because I thought this was still a great scene. And Loki is... I mean, look, there's a reason that we liked Tom Hiddleston as Loki in the first place. And yes, he was this multidimensional uh, character and, and very well fleshed out in the writing and also through his performance. And so we always felt like there was more there to Loki, but also he was just enjoyable and fun and charismatic as a villain. And so to see him go back into that space, and really we were building to this throughout the episode, a little bit in the opening, a little bit more in the first round of the interrogation scene, but now it's much more full on. And I think it is, this is where it begs the question for me, though, for Loki. And I want to discover where he's at. Because if we say that this isn't going anywhere, that, that there's no temptation for Loki to really lose control while in villain mode, then we can go ahead and we can say that this is a testament to his growth as a character, that he can put himself back in that space without being a without succumbing to any temptation to just go all the way with it without actually becoming a villain again so if that's where he's at then obviously we're talking about where a tremendous amount of growth for loki i mean either way he's grown quite a bit over the course of these uh you know the first 
season and a third. But there's also still that question, as we were talking about earlier, will these choices ultimately tempt him at some point to stay in villain mode? Will this become a challenge? And it's not identified for Loki as he's thinking this is an issue. We don't see him thinking maybe I'm going too far. Mobius isn't even at, uh, talking about maybe Loki has gone too far with this. But that's where it's, it's it'll depend. The answer to this question might come as soon as next week. If we see Loki going back into villain mode and they start talking about it as a problem, then we know where that's at. But if Loki is already moving past that, then that's also either direction. I, I think the point here is that either direction is interesting, either that we're going to we're going to really we're have to worry about Loki and, and whether or not he might take a step back or it is just the evidence of no, he really has come this far that he can use this as a muscle that he can flex to in the in pursuit of the greater good, but without ever going back into being the Loki who brought the alien army to New York and, and threw Tony Stark off of a building. Yeah, I I love this stuff. I, obviously, the mischief line sets everything up for this whole yeah. sequence. You kind you got you got to wonder in the cutting room, in the editing, like. They were like, well, should we or not include that line? I wonder if, if it went back and forth because I I don't know. I don't know I that it's I don't know that it's meant to surprise us. I don't I don't think in that moment we're meant to worry that Loki is really going into villain mode. Sure. I, I think it's more of we're enjoying the plot. I, I think we're meant to, I, I think we are supposed to be in on it as an audience. But I, to okay. your point, it very well could have been a conversation. What's better? That the audience, yeah. there's a chance the audience thinks that Loki and Mobius aren't in on this together and Loki is going rogue. Or is it more fun for the audience to have a better chance of being in on this so they can just enjoy watching smug a-hole Brad lose his cool? And I, I think it was the latter, and I think it was the right choice. But also, testament to Rafael Casal and his performance, he did a great job losing his cool. And the little subtle right. things like, Looking back at the door when, you know, when Mobius is gone, where just Brad is trying to because he doesn't want to be fooled again. This in the chess match, he has been winning this whole time to see him slowly losing control of the situation and then being genuinely scared and intimidated by Loki was also yeah. a, just as great of a part of the scene. And, and I think what plays the, the strength of it is you kind of, ex you know, he's going to get Brad's going to talk. Oh, so yeah. what's going to break him? And I thought that was done really well. And I thought that yeah. uh, <laughs> if again, he doesn't talk, they don't have an end to the episode. Well, right. So, you know, what's going to happen. But I thought it was a it was a satisfying way of doing it and for all characters involved. And I, and I and again, that's that's hard to do with including even keeping Brad's credibility, to be yeah. quite honest. I mean, it makes more sense because he's, you know, they're torturing him with things that like he probably, I mean, let's be real. He, oh, yeah. Maybe he even he's saw or it. done himself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what I'm saying. So we know that there's, yeah. And the fact that he, he still didn't buckle even when he was like right, right there. I thought it was perfect. I, I, it really did. Everything involved did a great job of keeping everyone in line without being too like you know to a slave to the plot, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and that's and that is a credit to the writing, and the and the, the acting, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, I love the stuff. This is great, and um, yeah, I Brad has already become a legend. To yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, maybe I will even start calling him Bradley out of respect, but no, we'll we'll stick with <laughs> Brad. So um, then we go to, of course. 
Brad is now admitting that, yes, he, in fact, found Sylvie. She has a life. He did exactly what Loki and Mobius suspected. He just left her alone, went off to go find his own life on the sacred timeline. And there was a reason he chose that, which we will uh, discover shortly. But when we do go to Broxton, Oklahoma, 1982, on the branch timeline, where Brad found and then ultimately left Sylvie alone, we get the reunion of Loki and Sylvie. But that doesn't mean that Sylvie is happy to see them because they honor what we saw at the end of the first season, considering how they parted ways. It was in the midst of an argument, an argument in which Loki was arguing against Sylvie taking the action that was that had become her sole focus, her sole purpose for years, not just years, centuries, millennia of things that she wanted to do that she felt she needed to accomplish and she feels that she accomplished it. So when Loki is saying that he's here because he saw her in the future in the TVA as everything in the TVA was falling apart and wants to know what was wants to discover the truth behind what was happening there, she says that that would mean if Loki what where Loki really was and what he believes he saw, if that really was the future, that would mean it's already been written, but it hasn't not anymore. I made sure of it. Uh, Sylvie says. So again, this is her. And she also talks about how happy she is in the life that she has right now. Sylvie is in the mode of mission accomplished. Everything is done and she doesn't want to be pulled back into it. She wants nothing to do with the TVA, whatever of it is left at this point. And then Loki is the one who speaks to Paul, what you've been talking about and what we've been talking about since, well, I mean, before that, but certainly it's come into focus as we talked about in our Loki season one revisited and then our spoiler review for the season premiere when Loki says that the TVA is the only defense against what's coming. All of these infinite variants of Kang or he who remains because they don't know the name Kang yet. And all of this is gone. Everything that Sylvie is happy to sit back and enjoy right now, all of that and everything else, it's all gone without the TVA. So I think this scene is working very well for both of these characters. Perhaps for for Sylvie, she has to be confronted with the idea that maybe she didn't win after that maybe she didn't win after all. She has to wonder that. And of course, so do we. And we we know she didn't because we were already seeing what's going wrong. We saw the future that Loki was briefly present in. And also in terms of what truly happens, uh, as far as what all of this means, what does it mean? with respect to the conversation around free will and the debate that's been had throughout the show. What exactly does all of this mean? Is this really what happens when there is free will? Is this what happens when anything can happen? Or is all of this just because he did say, see you soon, is all of this just another road that was paved by he who remains? So these are all interesting questions for us to think about as the season moves forward. But then also speaking of how the season moves forward and perhaps how the TVA moves forward beyond this season, here's Loki just shouting at Sylvie, not really, but effectively shouting at us as an audience. The TVA is important. It's a big deal. It's a line of defense. It is the center. Really, right now, the TVA is in its own way the center of the multiverse saga. And so that is if S.H.I.E.L.D. slash Coulson, if those were they were the glue in phase one, Obviously, we're talking about phase four, five, and six of the MCU. Here's the TVA holding it all together, allowing it all to exist. So we really are, there is a, a very clear acknowledgement. There continues to be an emphatic acknowledgement on the part of the show 
that the TVA has a big purpose that could very well allow it to be a major part of other stories, not just the remainder of Loki season two, but beyond it. They seem to be pretty clear in in what they're doing, Paul. It's not something they're hiding from us at this point. No, I, I don't think so. And I think what's what's cool is there's there's so much to to go into that the I think the series is going to go into, which I think is cool because she talks about free will and she said, well, it can't be the future because the future isn't written. I think the difference the difference is here is it's not it's not it's free will, but it's the same conclusion regardless because the future will be written because that's what they will want to do. Even though like, cause she even says like, well, you know, why would I be go? Why would I go yeah. back there and do it? That doesn't make sense. But that, well, begs the philo- that begs the philosophy question of, well, if you're always, if you are destined to ultimately make these choices, then were you really free to make them? Yeah, you, you are because there's, a, there's an option if you don't, cause you know, the consequences, if you don't, you see what I'm saying? Like, I feel like it, 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 see, it, but that again, on. if you're talking about, you'll make that choice only out of fear of severe consequences. Is it really a choice? Yeah, absolutely. Because you could. Because I'm just pointing thing. out these are the types of questions no, 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 that get debated right, right, right. in philosophy all the time, which I, is why it's so good to to really be going the, through all this stuff yeah. in the show. Right. Well, I think I think in, in, in I'm I'm speaking from the context of the show, not of philosophy. Philosophy, you know, we wise, whatever. But what I'm thinking is with Sylvie, there's going to be a plain as day realization of like I could go back to my time in you know in Oklahoma and work at McDonald's and be happy. And I think she's going to be, and that's going to be a temptation for her, but there's going to come a time where like either she'll know that like what she does will, will cause immense harm of everything around her. And and that selfishness will go away and she'll know like if eventually it'll come back to me, that's what I think is going to end up happening. And that's yeah. why she ends up having to go to the future, which again, which I think we're going to be getting over the ser- course of the series, which I think it begs the question again, what is free will? You're going to go into that. And I think those are those are questions that are going to be hard to, or not. They're always hard to answer. Right. As we're you know talking about right now. Um, I think that these are all great things to set up because that is ultimately what Kang is playing off of. Right. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, yes, like it, you need me. You need to have this because there's so many awful versions of me. And, and is that what is is that true? You know, is is there a way for a, a a good king, if you will? Is there a good king? You know, will they believe there's a good king? Because maybe you're setting up the fact that you, there is, you know, because there's a good Loki, and or are all of them evil, or if is there going to be a gray area one, like maybe an Immortus, if you will, like Immortus very much is on the is kind of a, he's a bad guy, but he's not crazy. At least in the comic books, I'm going strictly from the comic books, and he's the, he is probably in the comic books the more rational version of Nathaniel Richards, if you will. And I think that this, that's where we're maybe we're, play, we're kind of setting up because we're going to get this different version that could potentially be like, Oh, this could be the good King or the good Nathaniel Richards or whatever. And I think that's where I'm kind of going for is like, okay, they're setting up the fact that yes, you know, is there free will? What is that? And what does that mean for everyone? Is, is, is it, is it the same for everybody? You know, is is everyone does everyone have free will or only certain people have free will? There's lots of great stuff in here that I love that, that Loki and Sylvie are talking about. And to kind of talk about the TVA for a quick second, I would say that yes, they they are they are going and driving home to not only to death, but they're definitely driving home that they need to get this, you know, TVA has to exist in some 
way, shape, or form in, uh, to keep to manage things one way or another. Yeah, and I well, I think what they're also setting up is them wrestling the TVA away from any version of Kang or He Who Remains or Immortus that they are going to try to break away from it and you know break away from his control from from his rule. Um, and if they can do that successfully, because that, obviously that's Loki's intent. The TVA cannot defend anyone or any timeline against any variant of He Who Remains if it's being run by He Who Remains. Because I don't think there's a benevolent version of He Who Remains who's out there. Certainly Immortus didn't appear to be in what we saw in the the, the tag for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania earlier this year. So I don't think there's necessarily a, a good version out there that's going to take over. I think it has to be Loki, some version or some combination of Loki or Mobius or Sylvie who are running it because they know or B-15 um, or Obi or Casey that there's there are people who know what the TVA has done wrong and could actually try to do better and, and really try to make it work for everyone, especially if Obi is able to find a way for multiple timelines to exist um, and still do that in a way that helps that allows the TVA to protect every timeline, not just uh, one that that just so happens to be deemed sacred. But these are all the the complex questions and, and issues that they have to sort out. Uh, we'll go ahead and turn our attention to something easier for now, which is a great meal at McDonald's. So while Loki and Sylvie are sorting things out in the parking lot, Mobius and X Five are talking things out. This scene is fantastic. Uh, you know, Mobius being so into his McDonald's meal and his apple pie, X5 or Brad pointing out the fact that Mobius uh, slapped him. And then the comeback from Mobius is, yeah, but I bought you a shake. Perfect note there to just have Brad just immediately take a sip of the milkshake when he's reminded of the fact of the gift that Mobius gave him. That was awesome. And then when Mobius, out of just genuine curiosity and kindness, wants to go ahead and ask Brad about Zaniac because it looks scary. And he says, it's not scary. It's an elevated thriller. It's cinema. Uh, and and uh, we all, there's also a whole lot going on there about where Brad, from the start, from the time they got to Broxton, he wanted to leave. He wants to go to one of two places, either the Sacred Timeline or the TVA. Why? because those are definitely the only two places that are safe. Because Brad says if they stay, when they take him outside, they're all going to die. But he's not explaining what's going to happen to Mobius or Loki or Sylvie until Sylvie just goes ahead and enchants him to discover the truth. And General Docs and company are about to bomb every branch, including the one they're on right now in Broxton, Oklahoma, 1982, which is why, of course, Brad has wanted to get out, uh, get out of there the whole time. Love this scene between Mobius and Brad. So much fun. And the whole It's Cinema line. There's no way in my mind that you can include that line and not even be aware of the whole debate. Because uh, obviously Marvel Studios is very much aware of the debate and comments of things that have been made about Marvel by certain filmmakers and critics over the years. Obviously, everybody's mind immediately goes to one filmmaker in particular. And this one... Isn't, it's a streaming show, so it's not necessarily cinema, but to have a character in the MCU convey a certain pretentious attitude about what they're doing, I don't think comes from nowhere. Yes, that's an attitude that existed before the MCU, by the way. Um, it's always existed about popular art, regardless of whether it's in movie form, television form, music form, whatever shape it may take. 
Um, but to really kind of have that little moment for Brad from a character, of course, we're loving to hate throughout this episode was a whole lot of fun. So, yes, we'll get to the uh, the, the plotting of the the branch bombing and all of that stuff. But the the it's cinema line and the sip of the milkshake after Mobius refers to the fact that he bought Brad one. Uh, these were just outstanding moments in this episode. The Brad, this Brad stuff was incredible. Um, again, holding his own with Owen Wilson and great chemistry with o- Owen Wilson. And when he said it's an ele- it's not scary, it's an elevated thriller. His delivery of that was, per- I yeah. today didn't get to the cinema part. I, yeah. I was dying when he said, "No, it's not scary. It's an elevated thriller." Yeah. Oh my god, I just lost. It's it. cinema. You like, wouldn't understand it. Oh my god, it was incredible. It was oh, that was so great. I also love. Um, I'm you're gonna have to buy your own tickets. I'm not hooking you up. Yeah, dude. There's just there's there is so much there is so much fun of that whole scene. Which and, and that's I, that's writing too, by the way. So again, credit oh, yeah. to Eric Martin, writer of this episode, and anybody else yep. you know in the writers room who would have contributed to it. Yeah. No, I uh, I am. Extremely, I was extremely impressed with, the, with this little scene of them at McDonald's and like eating an apple pie and just, just I, I just Mobius's character is so endearing, you know. It's just he's he just he loves everything he gets to do, and I, I kind of find that very refreshing uh, in in this in this day and age of everyone wants to hate. I just love his attitude, so just wanted to say that. Love the scene. Yeah, yeah. Mobius is, um, you know, he. He lost control for for a moment there in this episode, but there is just this genuine kindness uh, to Mobius that always uh, that always shines through. And so really, uh, really enjoyed that character. And of course, Owen Wilson is uh, fantastic. But yes, to that point, I mean, it's I, I want the TVA to have a future. And, and as much and look, the, the Loki Mobius friendship is like the best thing, but if there also becomes an adversarial alliance between Mobius and Brad at some point in the MCU, I am not entirely against that based on what we just saw in uh, throughout this episode, but especially in this scene. But then we have to, uh, of course, now deal with this urgent matter that Brad has, uh, through Sylvie's enchantment, has brought to their attention, their attention, which now they have to go stop General Dox because she and her army are bombing branches we hear that they've bombed 30 percent of the new branches and it's counting the number keeps going up and so a fight ensues there's a central machine that they have to stop so we eventually get to the point where we get the moment in the trailer the don't overthink it moment where loki and sylvie hold hands because we know there are these power surges and whatever whenever uh, there is a, a connection between the two of them so then they use that to finish up the mission and stop general docs but again so much damage is already done. Um, they had already deposited Brad back in the TVA, and then everybody else heads back there with General Docs captured, minus a few of uh, her loyalists who may have gotten away. Um, but we'll deal with the back in the TVA in a moment. Just for this first part of it, the action sequence, this to me just felt very, it felt very abrupt. The The action of it was fine. I don't have any issue with that. The scene looked good, but it was also just, very, very, very quick. And it didn't really feel like this scene matched what was going on throughout this whole episode, especially since the plot of this episode was dealing so much with having to break Brad and then find Sylvie. And they did that. And then it was, here's the bonus mission 
for this episode. Now, it does call back to, of course, the very end of the first episode, which is obviously Docs was up to way more than just trying to find Sylvie. But I also feel like this maybe deserved more of its own setup. Even Docs as a character, I thought was very interesting, very intimidating last week in the, the war room scene. But in this one, there's not really any character to Docs at this moment. She's basically just doing the play-by-play. Our mission's been compromised. Hurry up. And then, oh, they haven't stopped us. We're, we're fine. We've done enough. I, I just don't. It, this scene kind of fell short and, and felt it, it ended up feeling kind of tacked on, which I, I feel like a bigger sequence like this where some big things are happening, it deserved more. And, and I don't know the answer for it, right? Because I, I presume that there's obviously four whole other episodes that have their own things to deal with. And maybe there was no place to really build an entire episode around this sequence. And there wasn't really a great place to fit it. And this was a thing that had to happen. But if it's a thing that has to happen, I think we want to find some better, more meaningful ways of getting there um, than how this was executed. So it's just everything that preceded this sequence was so good, and this sequence just didn't match it. And I think that's maybe part of why it stands out in, in a not-so-positive way is because it's just not operating on the same level as all these other scenes that we've just been talking about. Yeah, I... I, I agree with that, actually. I, I would I will agree that this felt very abrupt. I kind of forgot about her, to be quite honest. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. We have to do this. Because um, the episode is so good. It does feel tacked on. I I, I think this could get worse if, if um, you know, if it doesn't really, if, it, if this feels tacked on and they don't really address her and she kind of just falls off the face of the earth. You know, or timeline, if you will. Yeah. Uh, well, they were know, always going to bring it back, but I mean, I, I feel like bring her back for more than they're here. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that unless they need to have her in that situation because she's going to be a Renslayer, Miss Minutes, like kind of a, a mole, if you will, that would make more sense. And if she, she, you build her up, like she's almost like in a, you know, like use that to her advantage. Like I'm going to bomb all these timelines. No, I'm going to get captured, but I'm going to use that to my advantage still. I mean, I'm not sure I'm saying that's going to happen, but something along those lines, I'm going to feel better about this part maybe because it definitely feels tacked on. I didn't like, I don't think you didn't mind it as I probably liked it more than you because I, the thing about this, what I want to touch on really quick is the action scenes were fine. And I think the one thing I have to remember, remind myself as a comic book fan and, and I think superheroes, this goes, this is like, you know, I hate to put it in a box, but there is some kind of method. There is a formula. You got to see the heroes rock out. You got to see them like fight. You got to see them do their thing. And I, we got a little bit of that in the beginning of this episode. Yeah, and I like you got to use storytelling to get there. I agree. I agree. Um, that's why I'm saying like, I think they're, if they use this to their advantage, which I think if they, if they use her being captured as, um, because they do capture her, right? I'm, I'm yeah, they correctly. do capture yeah. her. And I think that's also part of where... And, and look, it's something they can redeem, potentially. I, I still don't know I if agree. they can make this yeah. scene good. But obviously, I, no, I for her, that, for her yeah. as a character, she gets her own interrogation next week, you know, to figure out what she yeah. was really doing. And is she working on her own? Is she working for He Who Remains? Is she working for Miss Minutes, Renslayer? So there's still information to be uncovered about Docs, but I almost feel like this could have potentially worked better, even if she wasn't there. If that was just a mission that she had assigned, but she either gets away 
or she's not quite there in that moment because she's doing even bigger things that they have to worry about. But again, she's not our main antagonist for this season. So I get it. It just, again, it's it's fine. It's not, strictly speaking, a bad scene, but it just doesn't match the level of, you know, the. it's not operating at the same level as the rest of the episode, which is fine. Look, one okay scene uh one rushed kind of okay scene is is fine like it's not it's not a big deal and it it certainly doesn't override my my overall impression of this episode which obviously was very strong and you know very positive and i do think they helped this scene a bit in the aftermath when we do get back to the tva and they're watching all of these branches get erased and of course wumi mosaku as b15 she really carries the burden of this scene and she does a great job with her line delivery. Those are people, those are lives. And Sylvia is seeing this as well. So a great performance by Sofia DiMartino. Everybody in that room looking at that screen as they see all of these branches being erased and, and of course recognizing what exactly that means. And then when we have Loki saying, you know, we were doing our best and Sylvia says that's some defense. The TVA is broken, it's rotten. Um, and she wants no part of it. So she goes back to her own branch timeline, the one that survives. But she still has that he who remains, you know, temp pad. So obviously, Sylvie is going to come back into it because we saw that future. We know she's going to be at the TVA. But I think to the point you were talking about earlier, Paul, she's going to realize that she has to do this, that this life that she is trying to accept and just live out and be happy in it's not safe. It's not guaranteed to be there all the time because there are going to be people who are working against the existence of that branch unless she is part of finding some way to stop it. And of course, we do get also get the setup. Casey mentions that they have a hit on Renslayer's Tempad, which almost uh, surely just goes ahead and sets up next week's mission to go find out where Renslayer is and what she's up to. So uh, highlighting, of course, Wumi Mosaku, but all of the actors in this scene they do a good job of selling the weight of what just happened. So yes, it is very rushed and very abrupt ending to the episode, but the actors do a good job of selling what's happening, that it's just, it's countless lives that are being lost. And it is really for us as an audience, it's just an unfathomable number. And also it doesn't work that way in storytelling. You can't just say X number of people have died off screen and we as an audience automatically care about that because, again, we we suspend our disbelief, but also we can't just have a fictional number that we're quoted. We need to see the loss register either because it's characters we know or characters we know and care about. The loss registers on them. You go back to the end of Avengers Infinity War. It matters because we see not just characters we know disappearing, but we see it registering on the faces of the characters that that we know and that we care about, even the characters who are left behind, Steve Rogers, oh God, at the end of Avengers Infinity War. And this is a similar sort of impact, and that's why I really do credit the actors for what they're doing, because the stakes are different for them. This is what they've been doing. Hunter B-15, when she was a hunter, has set those reset charges or ordered those reset charges to be set. And that has pruned entire timelines and taken out billions of lives on a branch timeline. She's done that. And they've all done that. And it just was procedure. It was all necessary of what they were told to do, that this is the only thing that they can do, so much so that they divorced themselves from what it really meant. Well, now they're no longer doing that. 
And so I think what's really happening in that moment and the devastation is recognizing the reality of what that is, but it also probably calls back to the reality of, of what they've done uh, at previous points in time. And so I think they do a great job selling the emotion of the scene. The actors really do. So that's part of what brings it back into, I think, the quality level of the rest of this episode. Maybe not quite there, but it gets a lot closer because of what we see and how it impacts the characters in the aftermath. A couple of the things that I just found interesting about this is that this also was, this is episode two of season two, and it also feels like a callback to episode two of season one. The conversation between Loki and Mobius, like I talked about earlier, but also how did episode two of season one uh, end with the bombing of the sacred timeline? So here, now instead of a bombing of the sacred timeline, it's a bombing of the branches and so it's, and also just a couple other things to talk about what this means for going forward. This is in no way, shape, or form the outcome that they want. That much is clear when we see the character's reaction to this. But what it does do is, and it's, again, not what anybody rooted for, but then the consequence of it within the plotting is this buys time for OB, only a little bit of time, because more branches are going to come out. Inevitably, there will be more branches because they're not pruning. So new branches will spin out and will grow. Doesn't change the, the lives that were lost for these ones that were just erased. But also this now buys someone like Obi and Casey more time to find Miss Minutes to open the blast doors and try and retrofit the temporal loom. So that way, when there are new branches, it can be, those branches can be accommodated and they can you know accomplish that mission. It doesn't change what's been lost here and now and today. But it also means that, you know, the TVA is not about to, you know, the temporal meltdown is now a little bit further from happening, which allows more of this story to unfold for uh, for this season. But great job by the actors, a credit to all of them yeah. for really having to, to sell uh, an incalculable off-screen loss. Yeah, I, I think, you know, this whole episode ends in a very interesting way. Um and just we're, again, we're, we don't know what's going on with the, the pruning is, you know, the what, what they were doing before was so unfathomable that we came in process. And the fact that they're acknowledging that, like what he who remains basically was doing and just kind of just, just, the reality of it again, like, I, I love that fact that they're, they're acknowledging what and not just taking people's free will away, they're taking people's lives away. Yeah. Um, and that is just, it, there's the multiverse idea is such a convoluted thing. And, and whether it be in comics or whatever medium you try to do it in, it's a very hard concept. And it, it, you open a lot of can of worms when you do it. And I think that Loki has done a great job. I don't think it's been, a, I don't think, uh, Marvel's always done a great job with it, but I think with Loki specifically, they've done a good job with it so far. And, um, I, they've, they're doing all the right things. I think acknowledging what they need to acknowledge in order to kind of keep, you know, without going overboard yet. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I'm very excited where, where we're going with it. And like you said, like they, they did enough for keep the series going. And again, they're what I, I'm more fascinated with Sean more than anything is how are they going to keep the branches going? Cause obviously they're, they're acknowledging that we have, they have, they have to keep the multiverse going. They, they they can't just they can't just prune it. That's wrong. So what's what is exactly going to be the answer? Because obviously the way he who remains set it up doesn't doesn't work. So you know, but he thinks he he figured it out. Like yeah, but well, it worked for him. Well, it it didn't it, it, necessarily exactly. work for yeah. everyone else. As far as he who remains cares, I'm the only 
Kang standing. I'm the he who remains out of all the Kangs, so I'm good with it. It was victory for him, but obviously it, it doesn't work for countless others. And so, yeah, and the TVA will have to figure out how can they exist and serve their function of protecting the multiverse when there's actually a multiverse and not just a, a sacred timeline. And so that these are the things that have the the crazy complex questions that they will uh, that they'll inevitably have to figure out. But that's going to be part of the fun and also the stakes of these last uh, of these remaining four episodes for this season. But overall, like I said, the very end of the episode, well, the very, very end, I, I thought was strong. And of course, you know, Sylvie again left there at the end of the episode inevitably going to come back the call to action is there for her as as a hero there's there's really no way around it the tva may be broken she's not wrong about that but the only way through is is fixing it in some way or if the tva is broken beyond repair and has to be completely replaced well then she has to be the one to help figure out what exactly is going to replace it so either way there it's sylvie just staying there and living out her life happily in broxton um, it's not really an option anymore. She is going to have to go ahead and uh, she is going to come back into it. And that is inevitably going to lead to that moment that we saw uh, Loki witness in the future in the very first episode. Um, also love that, uh, you know, she's I love that Jack we met last week as the manager of McDonald's and, I, that, you know, she's willing to ready to offer her boss a, mo- a ride home. But of course, uh, you know, his mom will be there to pick him up shortly. So nice, sweet little moment for Sylvie. Uh, taking care of the people and, and making sure the people in her branch timeline, at least within her sphere of it, are are okay. But yes, there are bigger things for for Sylvie to have to worry about, and she knows that, and, and we see that uh, for her at the very end of this episode. But overall, another outstanding episode. This is such a strong show from one season now into season two. Uh, effectively, we're through the the first act, so to speak. You know, a third of the way through season two and off to such a strong start. Uh, so excited about what we've seen. I've enjoyed so much what we've seen. I'm so excited about what we have yet to see as this season carries on. Really just an outstanding job by everyone involved. The show looks gorgeous. It looks incredible top to bottom. So well written, so well acted. The direction has been outstanding. Everything about this, I think, again, with some quibbles here and there, but overall, it's all working on so many levels, and, and it's been a, a real treat to be able to enjoy this show. And also, huge, huge fan of the uh, Thursday night, 6 p.m. Pacific time episode drop. Oh, so let's God, make yes. sure we keep that going. Uh, it is so, so awesome. Also, by the way, though, Paul and I talked about this off air. I don't know what we have to do to get it going because I don't know who's listening to this show. And if they were tuning in, they're not still here. But <laughs> anyway, we can to use our voices as fans. I do hope we can get a double episode drop. I know it's not on the schedule, but a double episode that we that we know of so far, but a double episode drop on November 2nd so that we can all enjoy the Marvels on uh, on opening night, November 9th. I mean, I know we can still do that and then go home and watch Loki, but um, I don't know. I, we do, I know Paul and I said off air, we're not big fans of the idea of the Loki finale and the Marvels overlapping. So if that means a double episode drop on November 2nd, I'm all for that. But either way, whenever we get these episodes, I'm uh, prepared to enjoy them and really enjoying these conversations that we get to have about them because they give us so much to talk about. And yet we are somehow against all odds, especially for us, 
getting these done in well under two hours. So Woo. great job by us. Um, that's the only yes. thing we've done a great that job is keeping, the the, yeah, there you go. is keeping the runtime down. Uh, everything yeah. else, we'll just have to figure out a way to do better. Um, but thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. Thank you for checking out, or if you're going to check out, Fan Show Plus at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. Just subscribe to Apple our Apple Podcast subscription where you can get those Fan Show Plus episodes with coverage of Daredevil Born Again and all the changes with Marvel Studios and their approach to television, as well as first impressions of these Loki episodes. Make sure you're also following us at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. And then, Paul, let everybody know where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter, at, formerly known as, or now known as X, I should say, uh, at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, go ahead and go to the YouTube channel and subscribe very nicely to the Comic Binge uh, channel that I have there. We just did lots of star, uh, great Star Wars stuff, did a great Superman episode. We got uh, we got a big one next week. Immortal Hulk will finally be covered, at least a, a quarter, the first nice. quarter of it. So, oh, it's so good. It is. Uh, it's, it's, it's a masterpiece. Let's just leave it there. It's a masterpiece. So, um, yeah, I, I got a lot of things to say about that. I just reread the first of uh, 14 issues, and it's uh, so good. It's so good. That, All right, anyway, yep. yeah, go That is a great one, so make sure you check out the comic binge, especially for that, and go read Immortal Hulk on Marvel Unlimited or buy the issues digitally, buy a trade paperback, whatever you can do. Uh, Immortal Hulk is outstanding and just highly, highly, highly recommended. I um, mean, if you want to follow me on... X, formerly Twitter, or Instagram, or threads, you may do so, at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.